Grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen to that. I write this message in July 2020 and it's a sermon which I believe the Lord has placed on my heart. We're certainly living in challenging times. Currently, the whole world is enveloped in the coronavirus and all its attendant concerns. To add to this, massive civil unrest as a result of black deaths in American custody has led to riots, burning, pillaging and huge public demonstrations in pursuit of social justice for those perceived to be disadvantaged by the system. Such demonstrations have now spread worldwide in an effort by demonstrators to engender public support for certain sectors of the community experiencing underlying injustice claimed to have been endemic for many years. There is currently a level of fear and uncertainty throughout our country that has not been experienced for many years. The economy and our traditional social activities, health services, transportation and our very day-to-day existence, including mental health, are all affected. It was in 1918 that the world was shaken by a similar catastrophe to the coronavirus when the pandemic designated the Spanish flu, decimated populations with reportedly some 50 million deaths worldwide. Today, most Australians have little or no knowledge of this pandemic, but the way it rapidly spread and the resultant deaths certainly contain lessons for us. While we in Australia have not experienced the coronavirus to the same level of infection or deaths as some overseas countries, there is still a latent fear that further outbreaks may occur unless we maintain the hygiene regimes put in place by federal and state governments specifically to curtail the spread of the disease through personal contact. And I might add, since writing this, that has occurred, particularly in Victoria, some outbreaks in New South Wales and even a recent outbreak in Queensland. Our immediate hope is, therefore, embedded in the imminent development of a suitable vaccine or that the virus might simply go away. Perhaps that's a little too optimistic. There now appears to be competing priorities in communities worldwide. On one hand, we all want to get back to normal living and on the other, demonstrators seek to seize the moment to make social reforms, despite the likely risk to health of participants and others. Notwithstanding some very recent relaxation in isolation requirements, those in authority are warning that social distancing is an imperative if we are to minimise further outbreaks of the disease. On the other hand, those who feel compelled to demonstrate are not necessarily 
following the recommended social distancing recommendations in the pursuit of what they claim is a social imperative. National leaders seem unable to curb their determination even though there may well be corona-related consequences. Sadly, despite the perceived merit of the demonstrations, it may not turn out to be, it may well turn out to be a lose-lose situation with raw emotion prevailing over common sense and the overall safeguarding of public health put at risk. Tolerance seems to be the key word at the moment. Hence the title. Donald Trump, the US president, appears to be taking a non-tolerant approach to demonstrators in America. Other US state governors are trying to find middle ground so that the ferocity of the demonstrations can be ameliorated and allow some ground for them to express their anger. It is a form of give and take, but the stakes are high on both sides. If the demonstrations and the associated side effects of pillage and looting persist, then the nation loses. If the social justices sought by the demonstrators are not achieved, then again the nation loses. If there are further coronavirus outbreaks as a result of the demonstration, the nation loses. It it will take real statesmanship to bring about a long-term peaceful resolution along with strong resolve and common sense on the part of populations and that observation applies worldwide and to every nation. The recent outbreak and significant number of deaths in Victoria highlights that we in Australia are not immune from the effects of the coronavirus. The conundrum. First, we need to define a conundrum. The dictionary defines it as a confusing and difficult problem or question. So what is the question that we as a church face? And it's this. What is the relevance and the role of the church in this current situation? With this level of chaos bombarding us, it would be difficult to see a way ahead. The pessimist would likely say, there's no hope at all. The matter simply cannot be solved. And at this point, I want a little diverge just to give you a wee bit of humour. You say some things are impossible. And then we have the Bible that says, with God, nothing is impossible. And that's very true. But have you ever tried sharpening an axe with a banana? (laughs) Or cutting a diamond with a feather? Now, in our human wisdom, that is clearly impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. And I want, uh, if you think back to the Bible reading, I want you to look at this present situation 
through God's eyes. None of this took him by surprise, by the way. He knows what the circumstances are. He knows what every individual here is going through. He knows that there's a level of fear in your heart and in your mind. But he says, be at peace. I've overcome the world. But for us to see how that's going to play out can be a bit of a challenge. So the pessimist would likely say there's no hope at all. This matter simply cannot be solved. The optimist, on the other hand, says this is an opportunity for change and new control measures. Things can only get better from here. The optimist view is that it may not be easy, but let's give it a go. As a Christian, my hope is firmly based on my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Hopefully, I'm also an optimist because of the promises of God written in the Bible. So for me, the first step to resolving issues of such momentous proportion is to turn to God and use his wisdom to address the problem. My evangelistic heart yearns that people who are so pent up, fearful and angry should hear the truth of the gospel and come to know the peace and healing that only God can bring to their lives hoping that they will learn that the love of God is both willing and able to resolve all worldly worldly problems. But such problems and issues have to be handed over to God and to be sorted out on his terms, not ours. This is the point where the conundrum arises. How do we get unsaved people to hear the gospel? Now, earlier this year we had a vision that this year was going to be the year of growth in our church. And can I encourage you that by faith, nothing's changed. God is still in the heaven. He's still on his throne. God is still in control. But there's a process that needs to happen. And my message today is to get you focused on the process. There are some believers who have the notion that to enable the unsaved to come to Christ, the church must be far more accommodating. They promote that the church should not be preaching a message of sin and the need for repentance. Their approach is that the church needs to be more like a concert venue where people come to be entertained. Some argue that we need to be more tolerant and accepting and avoiding subjects like sin and damnation, while we turn a blind eye to their worldly pursuits, even those that the Bible teaches are an abomination to God. If this strategy were to be adopted, we would need to water down and drip feed the gospel story so that it and we will not cause offence. Ostensibly, this blatantly tolerant approach is a compromise where we are in fact acceding to the world standards. This approach is incompatible with sound teaching and doctrine. And James chapter 4, verse 4, calls it spiritual adultery. And here's what it says. Adulterers and adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Clearly, this is a black and white statement. And if we were to strictly adhere to its intent, we would never even mix with non-believers. However, that is not what Jesus commanded us to do. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus commanded his disciples to go into the world and teach all nations and make disciples. That is to convert unbelievers to believers, to baptise them and to do this in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is commanding each and every believer and a believer is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel, the objective being to bring hearers of the gospel to faith in the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. To many of us, this is a daunting task that we've been given. In today's world, there is open hostility towards religion in many of its forms and in particular towards those who would seek to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is, where do we start? Well, we already have our starting point. Anybody surprised? No? Okay. We have received our commission directly from Jesus to proclaim the gospel to all nations. What we need now is an approach and we need to be mindful that because we are at all different in nature, it is not just one size fits all. There are, however, some high-level strategies that will be universal, and I'll put these under three general headings of approach, capabilities, and resources. So let's look first at approach. While there are many possible approaches, we'll examine only three as follows. Revivals, small groups, and personal. Revivals. Revivals have occurred across the world in each century. In Acts 2, 37 to 38, it describes one of the first revivals in early church history. One relatively recent revival that started in 1904 under Evan Roberts Roberts was known as the Welsh Revival. It had worldwide impacts across Europe and India and it led for many, many uh, evangelists and missionaries leaving the United Kingdom to go throughout the whole of the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the 1950s and 60s, the gospel was brought to many millions of people worldwide through Billy Graham crusades. These were large public gatherings in stadiums and arenas where there was praise and worship and a stirring gospel message by an evangelist. These meetings usually ended with an altar call where people came forward to pray and receive information to guide them in pursuit of faith. The fruit of these crusades is still evident today. 
But this is just one of the approaches that could be used. This type of outreach requires considerable resources, planning and experienced preachers that have broad public appeal. Let's turn to small groups. Friendship groups and special interest groups are another way in which the gospel can be shared. It need not be a religious meeting, but a venue where people are made welcome, feel comfortable, and no topic is off limits. Having a gospel-centred devotion is an approach to engendering spiritual curiosity and providing a, a, a venue for wider discussion of the gospel. Every one of us is capable of forming such a group and to invite core people to attend. It could be a craft group, a hobby interest, or those who have a particular medical issue or a particular personality or somebody in their family might need support and they need encouragement on how to handle that matter. The scope for this type of meeting is limitless. Personal approach. One-on-one is probably the most challenging approach to undertake. Approaching those nearest and dearest to us is always the most difficult. Sometimes the Lord will put a particular person on our heart and we are led to witness to them. The key to this approach is firstly to be their friend and one that they can turn to in any situation. This means that we must be authentic and truly genuine in our concern for them and not compromise any confidentiality that they might share with us. The essential element is trust. Truth in both what we say and what we share with them is critical, particularly the truth of the scriptures that we state to them. This is one of the most rewarding experiences in life when we can lead a person to Christ. Be sure to provide them with resources such as a Bible to help them in their search and thereby grow their faith. This is the way you can literally make a friend and forever. Capabilities. Capabilities is best considered as the tool needed to complete the mission. There are many tools that can be mustered to ensure success and these will be considered as follows, prayer, scriptural knowledge and technology. Prayer. Prayer is the cornerstone of any activity involving spiritual endeavour. We can take note of the words of Jesus when he was talking to Peter about his commitment to faith. In Luke 22 verse 14, Jesus informed Peter that he had prayed for Peter specifically that Peter's faith would not fail. And this is what he said, But I, that is Jesus, have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when you are converted, that is brought to the place where you understand the truth, you will be able to strengthen your brothers. Accordingly, it should be our golden rule that we commit any and every activity involving our faith to our Heavenly Father 
to ensure godly, that is, Holy Spirit-driven outcomes. This is particularly true of any evangelistic activities. Note especially that Jesus prayed that Peter's faith, when it was properly established, would be an enabler to strengthen his brothers, or as we may interpret, his fellow workers in proclaiming the gospel. Scriptural knowledge. Understanding the scriptures is another critical step in being equipped to present the gospel in spirit and in truth. Is that on 13? I can't see. Is that 12, 13? Okay. This will require effort on our part. We need to be committed to daily and structured study of the Bible to ensure that we can fluently and confidently expound the truth of Scripture when necessary. It is exciting to identify with the two disciples who Jesus spoke to on the road to Emmaus. What an amazing experience to have Jesus himself explain scriptural truth to you. Luke 24 verse 32 explains their burning heart experience. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he walked and talked with us by the way and while he opened the scriptures to us? The outcome of that talk was equally amazing. Their minds were open to understand the scriptures. Oh, that we would have that same life-changing experience, that it would make our witness all the more powerful to the glory of God. Technology. Technology takes many forms. It could be books or pamphlets, a computer, an iPad, a text message or the internet. We should adopt the available technology to suit our skill set. We should then apply that level of technology to suit the approach we intend to take with our outreach activities. We need to be careful to ensure that we are in charge of the technology and we are able to use it effectively as our tool or enabler and not become a slave to technology or, more importantly, be distracted by it. We need to carefully assess the best technology for the task at hand. Sometimes simplest is best. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. Resources. The key to achieving a successful outcome in every aspect of life is to have the correct resources to address the problem. With Christian outreach, the problems are so complex that we may not be able to discern the appropriate resource. Again, we turn to Jesus for his guidance. His advice to the disciples was given in Matthew 9, verse 37, when he said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he will send out labourers into his harvest. Jesus knows the extent 
and the complexity of the task to bring people to faith. So his approach was to ask Father God for the appropriate resources for the task at hand. Do not rely on your own wisdom. Trust God to supply your need and by faith the resources that are provided will be the best suited and capable. He also warned of the perils of the task in Luke 10.3 when he said, Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves and in today's hostile environment you need to be uh, aware that it's it's not going to be uh, a walk in the park. Here we need to be reminded that when God calls us to a task, he also equips us and provides skills to persist even when we are beset by difficult circumstances. The story of Gideon in Judges chapters 6 to 8 is a wonderful example to us. Gideon was called by God to defeat the Midianites, but Gideon was not at all confident. Uh, Those of you that know the story of Gideon uh, he, he had a few doubts and he was quite concerned. And this is what it says in Judges 6.14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in your might and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. For I, that is the Lord, have I not sent you? When the Lord calls us to undertake a task on his behalf, he will equip us. But we must exercise both trust and faith. Uh, Gideon twice asked the Lord for signs with a fleece that God was with him and God duly obliged him. Then when Gideon arranged some 32,000 men to fight, God said to him, it was too many, and he sent quite a lot of them home. Finally, God cut the number of men down to 300. Because as God said to Gideon, if you take all that number with you, you'll say that you did it, but I want you to know that I'm the one that's going to do it. It can be the same for us. Moving under God's wisdom in accordance with his plan, we will have victory in every aspect of this life and that may well include successful proclamation of the gospel. In conclusion, we began this message by examining some of the myriad of issues in the world today. The coronavirus is seemingly promoting an air of fear, intolerance and hostility throughout the world, causing people to rebel against the once accepted norms of public behaviour. On the spiritual front, the traditional beliefs and practices of the general population have changed from those of past generations. Practices that were once prohibited and shunned are now accepted as normal. The public consensus is that the church should be more tolerant and accepting. However, that's not what the Bible teaches. In its broadest context, the Bible teaches that we should love God above all else, love one another and obey the commandments of Scripture. That's it in a nutshell.
The outcome of this approach is firstly peace with God and consequently peace among men. The reality is that compliance with God's commandments and peace among men is quite a scarce commodity in today's world. As believers, we are commanded to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving world. Only the peace of God will bring mankind to a place where we can be more tolerant with each other and truly love one another. Just as the Lord chose and commissioned Gideon to defeat the Midianites, we are called and commissioned to lead nations to repentance. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 instructs the church, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for possession, so that you might speak of the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Our role as part of the priesthood of all believers is to fearlessly proclaim the gospel of truth. We are not to water down the truth, but to speak it straight from the Bible. We should do this in a spirit of humility and in a non-judgmental way. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convict people of their sin, not ours. Recognising that the task is not easy and it is, as Jesus said, like being a lamb among wolves, we need to put on the whole armour of God. And you'll find that in Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20 and I would commend it to you for a thorough reading. And we need to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, as we venture into the fray and we fearlessly take on the role that God has commissioned us to do to grow his church to his glory. May God bless you abundantly as you, in his power, fearlessly undertake his commission to speak his praises to those who are lost. Let's pray. God, our Father, we know that you will equip those who walk in your statutes and those who are obedient to your call on their life. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for that beautiful righteousness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would guide each and every one of us so that we might faithfully fulfil our commission to your glory and to the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.